0: Okay, uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to uh, actually turn to two places. One is in the Old Testament, the other is in the New Testament. So the the first place I want you to turn to is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29. It's the fifth book of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29. And um, just put your finger there, Deuteronomy 29, and then I wanna draw your attention to the New Testament to the book that occurs um, before, uh, after the book of Hebrews and before the book of 1 Peter, more toward the end of the Bible, it's the book of James, and uh, I'd like you to turn to James chapter four, verse thirteen. And we're going to read from James four, and then we're going to read from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. All right. Um, this morning, I, I want to deal with an eminently practical matter that every one of us faces at some point in our lives, and you may be here this morning, and you may be facing uh, what I'm about to say right now, and it is um, every time that we face a situation in our lives, let's say uh, a fork in the road, and we wonder, like, do I move in this direction or do I move in that direction, We, we wonder, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? What what direction do you want me to go? Because I'm kind of clueless at this point, or I have an inkling, but I am I'm not sure. And I, I know that whether it be in the past few months or uh, even right about now, there's some of us who have left one job and are wondering, do I, do I take on another job? Or, I'm, I'm here right now in Abbotsford, but I don't know if the Lord might be leading me elsewhere to another town or another city. Lord, what do I do? Um, our, our dear sister, uh, Soraya, you know, she is here in Abbotsford, but the Afghanis and other immigrants who come to this city um, need a job in time. And so where do I get that job? I'm looking for a job here. If the Lord doesn't open up here, is he going to open up another job for me elsewhere, maybe in the Vancouver area? I mean, we could go on and on with this, right? So what do we do? How do we, here's the thing, how do we discover God's will? And so I want you to think about this. We're not going to have a time of discussion here like we sometimes do in our afternoon service, but I want you to think about this in your head and ask yourself the question, how do I discern the will of God for my life? How do I know what he wants me to do? Just think about one thing in your mind. And then we're gonna explore further other ways in which we decipher the will of God for our lives. And we're gonna do that from uh, the book of James, Just gonna read there, but I wanna draw your attention more in the sermon to Deuteronomy chapter 29. So James chapter four, uh, beginning at verse 13, we read, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there, and trade, and make a profit. Yet, James writes, you do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But the question is, how do we know what the will of the Lord is? All right. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 29. I want to begin reading at verse 18. The context which I'll lay out a little bit more detail as time goes on is that uh, Moses is speaking to the people of God as they're poised to enter into the promised land and he's warning them about the gods of that land not to become ensnared by them. And he gives them a few other warnings, and then he ends with a text that I want to consider at the very end of this chapter. So, verse 18, Deuteronomy 29, Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart and says, i'll be safe though i walk in the stubbornness of my heart this will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and the dry alike. the lord will not be willing to forgive him but rather the anger of the lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the lord will blot out his name from under heaven and the lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. And the next generation, your children, who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say when they see the afflictions of that land and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing, where no can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All the nations will say, Why has the Lord done this to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? Then people will say, It's because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them up out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known and whom had not been allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And The Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. Pretty heavy language. Verse 29. I want to focus with you this morning. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The word secret there, a form of uh, the Greek word satar, uh, means secret or hidden. So the secret or hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now of course I'm going to explain uh, Deuteronomy 29:29, 29, 29, a very important verse in the Bible actually regarding how we discover the will of God for our lives. But I want to go back to the question that I posed to you and hopefully you've been thinking about that um, this morning. It doesn't matter if you are in your teens, it doesn't matter if you're in your early to mid-twenties where you're trying to figure out what God's will is for you or if you're in a relationship wondering if that's going to enter into marriage and do you actually marry that guy or that gal whom the Lord has put in your life. Whatever the matter is, as we all face that fork in the road, What's the answer that's going on in your head? How do I know what God wants me to do? How do you discover that? Think about that one thing, and we'll fill it out, okay? Now, uh, without further ado, what I wanna do is, um, I wanna get right into our passage, a passage um, from Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. Do you know what the book of Deuteronomy is all about? Fifth book of the Bible, a lot of things that could be said about the book of Deuteronomy, but one important matter for us to remember is that the book of Deuteronomy, just think of it this way, is basically um, an extended sermon delivered by a man named Moses, whom God has, had chosen as his instrument to lead his people out of the land of oppression, namely Egypt, and lead them eventually into a land that was promised their father Abraham hundreds of years before, a land known as land flowing with milk and honey, a productive land, a beautiful land known as the land of Canaan. And so the people of Israel had left over 430 years of slavery in Egypt by the hand of God, by the providence of God, the sovereignty and goodness of God through the instrument of Moses. They've been going through a wilderness and wandering in a wilderness for about 40 years, and now they're on the, what we call the plains of Moab, and they're poised now to enter into the promised land. And so what Moses does is he gathers the people around thousands and thousands of individuals and he delivers a sermon whereby he reiterates what we call the covenant that the people of God had with their God. And when you talk about covenant, as I oftentimes say, there's many things that we can say about covenant and there's a whole theology revolving around that word covenant, but for our purposes here this morning, when you think of covenant, just think of a marriage. Jared and Kiana married. What did they do? They entered into this marriage covenant. Next week, Casey and Abby, going to get be married again next weekend, right? Entering into a marriage covenant, uh, a binding contract of love and fellowship. And what Moses is doing with the people of God now, as they're prepared to enter in the Promised Land, he's saying to the people, what we need to do is we need to be faithful to the covenant that God made with us at Sinai. Exodus 20, the book of Exodus where God entered into covenant with his people and he confirmed that covenant by means of what we call the 10 words of the covenant, the 10 commandments. And he says basically, here is the marriage contract. And if you remain faithful to this covenant, in other words, as my people says the Lord, if you remain faithful to me and if you remain in your commitment to love me and you obey me, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you. But if you turn your backs on this covenant and you are unfaithful and you are disobedient, then you do not receive the blessings of the covenant, but very clearly you receive the curses of the covenant. And if you look at Deuteronomy 27 and 28, very instructive chapters, those blessings and those curses of the covenant are laid out. Same thing with human marriage. So for instance, you know, when when Jared and Kiana, when they're before me yesterday, at, at the wedding ceremony, and when they come to that point in in that ceremony where they do the most important thing of the wedding ceremony, and they exchange their vows to each other, and they enter into that contract, what do they do? What are they doing there? They're vowing fidelity to the vows that they are making. The Lord, does that with us too. The Lord says, if you are a Christian and you are in this worship and you are part of this church, you are in covenant with me and I want you to be faithful and obedient. And if you are, listen, I am going to bless you and my face is going to shine upon you. But if not, there's going to be a diminishing of your soul and I'm going to bring my discipline upon you to come upon you and turn your hearts back me so all of this this is what Moses is bringing before the people of God and then in Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 he ends all of this by saying this he says the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law now it's it's somewhat of a a I don't know at at first reading it's somewhat of a, a strange way of ending this whole section on the blessings and, and the curses, especially. We, we would call verse 29 somewhat of, um, oh, kind of an uh, uh, obscure verse, kind of uh, mysterious to us. But when, when you begin to examine it closely, it's not all that mysterious. Basically, what Moses is saying to the people of God here in what we could put it in today's language is this. He's saying to the people of God, listen. We don't have to scratch our heads and figure out what God wants us to do and how he wants to have us live in the, promise of, uh, 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 in, in the land of Canaan in the promised land, so that we may receive his blessings and not his curses. We don't have to scratch our heads about that. It's all very clear. Now, there, there are some things with the Lord, what we call our, our again, the Hebrew word sitar, that are, that are, that are secret, meaning they are, they are hidden from us. There are things that are, that are, are rooted in eternity, what, what theologians call the eternal decree or the counsels of God and that are rooted in the mind of God. They are, because they're rooted in eternity, we cannot know these things until they come to fruition in the lives that we are living. But until they come to fruition in our lives, they're, they're just kind of hidden from us because who can know the mind of the Lord? But, Moses goes on to say, there are other things that the Lord has revealed to us that are very clear to us. What we are to believe and how we are to live and with the things that God has revealed to us, which is where? Well, if you've been raised in the Christian faith, you know it's here. If you're exploring the Christian faith and you want to know who God is and what he, how he wants you to live and who Jesus is and what Jesus calls you to be and do, it's all here in the Bible. Now what we have in the Bible is a clear, vivid, specific, concrete call of God and description of God to us on how we are to live before Him. It's all revealed, it's very clear. Now, does the Bible contain everything that we are to know about God and His will for us? No. God hasn't revealed everything, but he has revealed exactly what he wants us to know. It's all very clear here, and that's what Moses is saying to the people of God. Listen, when God covenanted with you, he gave you the Ten Commandments and other laws, he laid it out very specifically. What he has revealed to us, he says, at the end of verse 29, that's exactly what we are to do. So if you go into the promised land and you start walking away from God, you cannot give him the excuse, well, Lord, I didn't know what you wanted of me. No, Moses says, God has displayed to you exactly what he wants of you. He wants your love. He wants your faith. He wants this this covenant ring that he's put on your finger. He wants it to remain on that finger. And he wants you to be obedient to your vows. That's what the Lord desires. Now, you may be listening to this and you kind of go, well, all right, so what does this have to do now? Thank you for the explanation, but what does this have to do with um, knowing God's will for the situation that I'm facing? Well, it has everything to do with it because verse 29, as we begin to explore it, gives us the proper approach to answer the question of the will of God for our lives. So I want you to stick with me for about just the next few minutes and I uh, I want to get into some theology. And um, I hope as a church that as we delve into the Bible and as we delve into theological matters that we never come away and kind of go, you know, um, that we never have the idea that theology or doctrine is just kind of in the realm of ideas and it never kind of sprinkles down into concrete reality. It's very important for us to understand the doctrines of our faith and the theology of our heritage because it has a direct concrete bearing on not only how we are to live, but the decisions that we are to make in our lives. So I want to draw a distinction here in verse 29 between two things. And that's what we call God's will of decree and God's will of desire. The first one is the God's will of decree. And notice I don't say decrees, but it is a single decree that is rooted in the mind and the heart of God from all eternity. That is before all time. And it is that decree of God, that eternal counsel and plan of God that extends to everything that happens in this world and everything that happens in our lives. And the reason why the Bible calls the decree of God secret or hidden in our passage in other places of the Bible is because. We can't know the mind of God from all eternity, and we can't know His eternal plans. We can only know them after a fact as they begin to display themselves in our lives, but we can't go back to eternity, and we cannot know the mind of God. The decree of God, there's a wonderful and very brief uh, definition of that that we find in another what we call Reformed Presbyterian Standard that many of us don't have in our church, but that our fellow conservative uh, Presbyterian brothers and sisters have. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith, and there's also a Westminster Larger Catechism and Shorter Catechism. Could you put that Westminster? There we go. Notice what it says here. It says that here's, a, here's a, a definition. This is why confessional standards are important, because they consolidate various truths of the Bible. The decree of God is His eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will whereby always for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass." That decision of God as to what is to happen in the world and in our lives has been set from all eternity. One decree. Now there's something mysterious about the decree of God and I I will tell you why. It's because we're not the creator. We're only the creatures and our knowledge of things is only partial. But God knows all things, and he plans all things, and he sovereignly orchestrates all things for the world and our lives, which can leave us with a certain measure of, well, humility for one thing, but mystery as well. I mean, because when we face these situations in life, well, what what is God's will? What is that eternal will for our lives? He hasn't revealed it yet. How do I know it and all of that? It leaves us with, with, with kind of mystery and wonder. Next slide, if you would. Listen to this in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, unsearchable are his judgments inscrutable, that is beyond finding out, are his ways. Talk about the eternal counsel of God. That's a humbling thing. That's a humbling thing. Okay, one more. Isaiah 55, if you could put the next one up there. Isaiah, we read this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Our thoughts are down here. God's thoughts and wills are up there. They are eternal. They're part of the counsel of God, and they are hidden, as Moses says here. They are secret. Now, for the sake of time, we need to move on. But there's also what we call God's will, not only of decree, but God's will of desire. Let me explain that very simply. God's will of desire is how he desires us to live. What he desires of us, what to believe how we are to live our lives, the directions that we are going to take in our life. That is, that is in many ways, not secret to us, but it's revealed. And again, where is it revealed? It's revealed here in the Scriptures, what He wants us to know. So there, there are hidden things, but there are things that are revealed, that are part of His desires for us. Okay. So one other question that we have then is is basically this why is it important for us to know this this biblical and also theological distinction between god's will of decree and god's will of desire and and the reason for that and here's where the practical import comes to play there are a number of times where we face a situation in our life we say lord what do you want me to do because lord i know according to your eternal counsel and plan I know that you have a plan for me, I just don't know what it is, because it's hidden, because it's secret. And our temptation oftentimes in life is to, we've never put it this way, but we, we, we'd love to just to kind of tap into the mind of God and know his eternal decree and know his eternal counsel, sovereign purpose, right? And so we, we, we kind of step back from that. We say, Lord, I don't know that, but what I, I, I do want you to do is I want you to show me I want you to show me. I want you to reveal that to me. I want you to give me a sign. Can you give me some kind of sign? And when when the Lord doesn't do that according to our timetable, then we just kind of we, we 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 either get impatient or we kind of get <clears throat> we get paralyzed because we're like, what, what am I what am I to do now? And perhaps a better way of going about it, and more fruitful way of going about it is by saying, Lord, as I'm facing this situation, I I know you have a plan for me, but what is there in in what you have revealed that can help me make a decision? What is there that that I can read or that I can hear that can help just direct my steps? Now, I want to get back to that in just a moment. But for now, I want, to, I want to pause from this a little bit, and I want us to think of, of, of the kind of decisions that we have to make as, as the people of God. A, a few examples. How many of us who are older, when we look back to our teenage years, and we're, we're, we're getting to the end of our high school years, and what are we all doing that senior year? We're, going to, we're saying, what, 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 does the, what does the Lord want me to do? Does the Lord, where, where does he want me to go? Does he want me to work? Does he want me to go to school? There, you know what? It's really true, and maybe you're like this, but there are many people who, when they are 10, 11, 12 years old, they got their tracks set out for themselves. They know exactly what they want to do. Remember years ago, there was a kid in grade school. Man, he was oh, he's about 13, 14. He says, I want to be an engineer. That's exactly what he became. He became an engineer. Or sometimes you get guys who go into the ministry, and they say, I, I remember I was eighth grade. Man, I knew I was going to be a minister. Most guys are not like that, but and most of us are not like that. We don't know early on. So what does the Lord want me to do? Or, listen, um, I've, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in a relationship right now. This is a big one. And I was talking to an individual um, at the wedding reception yesterday, just facing a situation. He's like, you know, do I... Do I, um, do I finish college before I get into a serious relationship? Because if I get in a serious relationship, then we might get married. Is it wise to be married in college, or, do, or should I wait till my education is done, and all of this, and you had all these questions? Those things are not always easy to decipher, right? Everybody's situation and personality is different. Um, you know, you, you may be here, and you're living in Abbotsford right now. Do I move to another place? Do I move out of the, the province? Do I go elsewhere? Lord, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to do? do I, am I supposed to take on this job? Am I supposed to take on that job? Lord, am I supposed to move here? Am I supposed to move there? Listen, Lord, I'm, I'm older. I'm entering into the retirement years. Lord, when am I supposed to retire? Should I retire? And if I do retire, where am I supposed to go? pastors face this this situation all the time you know they get calls throughout their ministerial career and here they sit you know they've been serving a congregation for a while then another call comes what am I supposed to do Lord do I stay with this congregation or do I move on what is best for your not what is best for me what is best for you in the furtherance of your church and kingdom Lord I have a uh, I have I have cancer what am I supposed to do the doctor says chemo but he also says you can go through radiation maybe you need both maybe you need to go a natural route Lord what do I do I mean, okay, so, you, you know, we could, we could go on and on about these things, and, and just one other thing, too, and it's not the reason for the sermon, okay, but we, we face a situation as, as a congregation. We have the possibility of a new facility. What, what are we going to do? And probably a lot of us have some ideas. Yeah, we should, or maybe we shouldn't, but I don't know. We need more information. We, we can, listen, we got to make a decision. What do we do? What do we do? Right? We go on and on with this. If you think about it, when aren't you and I, in our lives, when aren't we facing a decision that we have to make, either big or small? Well, what are we supposed to do? And before we come to the point of just kind of, sometimes people like the idea of maybe just, you know, we just don't know, throw the dice, or, or maybe a more biblical term, we'll just cast lots, Or like Gideon, we're just going to throw out our fleece. See what happens. What are we going to do? Here's some things that I want you to think about in getting back more to the revealed will of God. Whatever you are facing, the decision that you're facing in your life, you you cannot face the question of God's will for your life in this either big or small decision you have to make without consulting. I'm going to say some things that are really plain, but I want us to understand, you you can't make decisions in your life without knowing the word of the Lord. I mean, there's a reason why he gave it to us. Um, The Bible says, and and the psalmist says this Lord, in your light, we will see light. And. You, you, you can't handle the Bible this way. Oh, I'm specifically facing a job situation. Or I'm specifically facing a move. Or f- how about this one? I'm in a relationship right now, and I don't know if I should marry this guy or not. If he proposes, I'm not sure what I should say. Will this be good? Now, the Bible isn't going to say specifically, okay, Carol and Joe. Carol, you should marry Joe. It's rather obvious. But what the Bible does is oftentimes it provides us principles by which to make principled decisions. So as Carol's facing the situation with Joe and ask, what do I do in that particular situation? The Lord may not specifically say that, or He may not. you may not be walking down the road someday and you see in a cloud formation, you see a big Y for yes. It's not usually how God works, although we don't wanna put God in a box. But here's the thing, the Lord provides us principles. What, what kind of man do you need to look for as a woman? You need to look for a man who loves the Lord. You need to look to a man who's gonna be grounded to a certain extent in the scriptures who's gonna be, be able to guide you as a young woman. You're gonna want a young man who's gonna ensure your purity and not take advantage of you. You're gonna want a young man who you're gonna be able to trust and you're gonna be able to submit to and respect and love and you're gonna want a young man who's gonna be like Jesus No one of us is perfect, but you want him to be like Jesus in terms of agape love, self-sacrificial love, where he's willing to give his very life for you. Those are the things. He needs to be in the Lord. We need to marry in the Lord. So you got all these principles of the Bible which are designed in principle to inform the decisions that we have to make. It's here. Secondly, when we seek to understand the will of the Lord, not the secret will of the Lord, but the disclosed will of the Lord, as Moses talks about in Deuteronomy 29, probably one of the things that first came to your mind before the worship service is obviously prayer. But it's hugely important, and I'm afraid we don't employ prayer as diligently as we should. Listen to these words of Jesus. Jesus says, "Ask." and it will will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And maybe you step back from that and you say, but man, I have been praying. Man, I've been praying for weeks, I've been praying for months, maybe even years, and the Lord's still not revealing that clearly to me. There's a reason why when Jesus talks about prayer in that way, that that call to prayer comes three times in the present continuous tense. You know what I mean by that? So that when Jesus says, Ask, he's not just saying ask once, he says ask and keep on asking, it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and it will be revealed to you. Knock and keep on knocking, and that door will be open to you. If the Lord's not revealing after much prayer what he wants you to do, keep praying, keep praying. Sometimes the Lord is even testing you that. Do you really, do you really want to know, do you want to know? Keep praying about that. Come to me. Come to me. So the word and prayer. And and here's another thing. Okay, Seek the counsel of others. When you are a Christian, you're necessarily a part of the church, part of the body of Christ. When you are facing a certain situation in your life, do what that young man did with me at the, at the wedding reception yesterday. He says, uh, we were talking about various things. He says, by the way, I want to I ask you about something. What is he doing there? He's doing the biblical thing. He's seeking counsel. Do you have a mentor in this church? Do you have someone who loves you in this church, someone that you respect, someone who's grounded in the word, lives a life of prayer? Seek him out. The Bible says that in the presence of many counselors, there's what? There's much wisdom. There's much wisdom. Two other quick things, Um, and this is another simple thing, God gave us brains, right? God gave us the ability to think, think through a situation. Um, in, In the past, what I have done in facing certain situations, particularly regarding whether you take on another church or not, you take a piece of paper like this and you put a line right down the middle and you put pros and cons. And if you have a spouse, you talk about the pros and cons, you put all the pros on one side and all the cons on the other, and that helps formulate in your idea the leading of the Lord and what may be the wise decision that you have to make. And then finally this, Um, be open to what I call providential occurrences. This is what I mean by that. You're facing a certain decision in your life, put the antennas up and start paying attention to the providential will of God. Because you know, when you confess the doctrine of God's providence, you're saying that nothing in this world happens by chance or fate, but all things are orchestrated by the hand of God. And God's hand is always moving. So as you face certain decisions that you have to make, be open and have your tenons up to conversations, to people, to things you read in books, to articles. Little things that the Lord puts in your path where if your antennas are up, as you read those things, as you hear those conversations or those so-called chance happen meetings that you have with certain individuals, you, you come away from that saying, huh, that is very interesting because I wasn't looking for that conversation or I wasn't looking for that person, but they said something or they did something that actually helps inform now the decision i have to make sometimes in the kindness of the lord he puts those little things in your life where you go huh why did he do that maybe maybe he did that to help inform my decision and if i and if i can add this to what we're talking about here this morning um this this is a situation not only christians face but non-christians face You know the difference, though, in handling these forks in the road between the Christian and the non-Christian? Really simple. The non-Christian thinks in a horizontal fashion, and the Christian always, first and foremost, thinks in a vertical fashion. So as we face the fork in the road and we ask, what should I do in this situation, the Christian immediately goes upward and says, what is God's will for me in this situation? What does God want me to do in this situation? The person outside of Jesus forgets about that vertical situation, And they look at the horizontal, and they just think, "Huh? Here I face this road uh, fork in the road. What am I supposed to do?" And so sometimes, what do they do? Not always, but sometimes what they do is they dabble in the occult. Right? Why do people read tarot cards? Why do people do Ouija? Why do people go to palm readers? Why do people? dial into the psychic hotlines. Why do they sometimes go to seances and call forth the so-called spirits of the dead? Because there is this insatiable desire in every human being, whether Christian or not, to want to know what the future holds. And when you face that situation, the Bible is very clear, especially the Old Testament. God says, if you're tempted to go the route of the occult, and not my revealed will, be very, very careful. In fact, while the Lord's language is much stronger than that. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. And why is that? Because these matters of the occult are not innocent. Um, They're not innocuous. They're not harmless. But what people don't understand is when you start delving into the occult, you unwittingly sometimes open yourself up to demonic influences. Let me give you an example of this. Go to Isaiah. Can you get that? And when they say to you, seek out and ask the mediums, that is, those who stand between the material and spirit world, and when you seek out the necromancers, that is, those who call up the spirits of the dead, should not a people inquire of their God? And then, very interesting, the Lord says this to the teaching and to the testimony. He says, The Lord's like, Listen, you don't know the future. Nobody completely knows the future. Don't go to the occult, they're liars and oftentimes influenced by demonic powers. No, go to this. I've revealed it to you. Seek it out. Pray, seek the counsel of others. Seek my providential occurrences. I explain the way to you that you should go. In the end, I wanna leave you with this word of encouragement. Sometimes you say, and maybe you're this way this morning, you say, listen, I know I don't know the secret counsel of God. I don't know the decree of God from all eternity. But but the fact of the matter is, Pastor, what I have done is is followed basically everything you've said. I've I've read the Word, and I've prayed about it a lot. I've sought the counsel of ours and so forth. And I'm not I'm not sure. I still I, I I still don't know. And you're starting to get discouraged, or a bit paralyzed and fearful. So and I want to end with this. It's a word of encouragement, and comfort to you. Your task and my task is not, first and foremost, to figure out what I'm to supposed to do in a particular situation. You know what our first calling is? Just be faithful to the Lord. So simply to be faithful to the Lord. And If you're faithful to the Lord and you're His child, then whatever God has in store for you and works out in your life, whether soon or way down the line, it's going to be for your good. And it's going to be for your blessing. It's going to be for your growth in faith. What does it mean to be faithful to the Lord? It means this. It means to rest in Jesus. It means to be led by His Spirit. It means to be governed by His Word. As one astute theologian put it, in really simply simple language, it's called, your calling, my calling, is to be holy and happy in Jesus. All of those things. And when we are, and the Lord says, when you put me first and your faithfulness to me first, you don't have to worry about the future. You may not know it now, but I promise you, I will guide you and I will bless you and ultimately I will bring you into that promised land one day. I leave you with these scriptures. Can you listen carefully to these? Because then we're going to pray. Jesus says this, Seek first, okay that's our first calling, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and do you know the rest of it? All things will be added to you, all things will be added to you. Romans chapter 8 where the Apostle Paul says God works out all things. All things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose and then in that same chapter Romans chapter 8 the Apostle Paul says listen if God is for us who can be against us if God did not spare his own son Jesus but gave him up for us all will he then not graciously give us all things And hopefully to that we say, Amen. Yes, Lord, I believe that. Because you know what? You're sovereign. And you're loving. And you do not lie. You do not lie. So let's rest in these things and take great comfort in these things as we face many times great forks in the road. Let's uh, come to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, there are many secret things, Lord, that we are not aware of hidden in your eternal counsel. And only according to your time and your purposes are displayed for us. Oh Lord, there are many times where we do want to know your eternal counsel. We want to know those secret things because then we can know, oh God, the kind of decisions that we're going to make. Oh Lord, you've disclosed many things to us. Help us to be a people like the Bereans in the book of Acts who search the scriptures daily to pray to seek the counsel of others to look for those providential occurrences and to think things through in our lives using our brains using the reason you have given us combining all these things lord to help us with the decisions that we have to make and heavenly father we pray that if we're facing something right now when we're simply unsure where it's going to lead Lord, we know that as your children, you love us in Christ. And though we may not know the answer now, you will display that answer later. Or maybe not at all in this life, but perhaps in the life to come. Help us to be okay with that and to trust that when we seek you and your righteousness in Christ, all things, all things will be added to us. Thank you for the comfort of that, Lord, and that encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name amen there is a there is a, a class